0: Thank you, Caleb, and praise team. As you're being seated, turn in your Bibles or in your device to Jonah chapter 4. While you're doing that, a couple of quickies I'd like to share with you. Uh, Matt shared earlier about when we start our Wednesday evening services back on uh, August 3rd. Uh, I will be in this room, and we will be uh, enjoying something I call followology. Followology is the study of learning how to follow. To be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is the basics of discipleship, and many of you have expressed interest in that. So we'll be in here during that period of time, very practical, very hands-on. Secondly, I want you to know this. Uh, a couple months ago, uh, you elected a team to uh, work on um, reviewing and bringing up to date your constitution and bylaws, policies, and procedures and such. Uh, They've completed their work and submitted uh, their work to Alliance Defending Freedom's uh, attorneys. They have then reviewed them and sent uh, sent them back with some additions that we wanted to consider, and they have been. And next uh, Sunday, it will go live on our website for you to be able to uh, read through to look at the changes, the additions that are there, and then we're going to have some town hall meetings to discuss those and such and you'll have opportunity to decide whether or not to make those your new foundational documents. So just want you to know that's coming. You'll hear more about that next week. Let's get back into Jonah. What an incredible journey this has been in just these uh, 4 weeks that we've been digging into the heart and mind uh, of this very reluctant, often disobedient prophet Of the Lord. It's it's, it's an incredible story. Here we find uh, in the very first chapter that God caused Jonah to do something that was really, really distasteful to him, to do something that he really didn't want to do, to go to his arch enemies, the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians had decimated Israel and Judah. Uh, They had killed hundreds of thousands of them. They had destroyed their cities and so on. But God says, I want you to go to the capital city of Assyria, and I want you to preach what I tell you. I want to preach repentance. Well, after receiving that call, rather than going towards Nineveh, he went in the opposite direction. He went running from that as best he possibly could, because he did not want the Assyrians to hear about the God of all grace and the God of all comfort, and maybe repent and turn away from their sins. So he went in the absolute opposite direction. And the lesson we learned from chapter 1 is you can run from God, but you can't hide. The harder you run from him, the harder you're going to run into him, because he loves you too much to let you get away with not having his best for your life. So as we get to the end of chapter 1, and in chapter 2, we find that God has sent an incredible tempest on the sea. Uh, The sailors have to cast lots to find out who's to blame. It fell on Jonah, of course. Jonah said, cast me into the deep. And he would rather die than to obey the Lord. And so as we open up chapter 2, he's sinking deeper and deeper into uh, the depths of the sea, the seaweeds all around him and such, and then he sees the big open maw of uh, the, the big fish, the whale, whatever, coming up to swallow him alive. And there we find him in the bottom of the great sea, in the belly of a whale, and we find our lesson, second lesson. No matter how deeply you sink, God's love and presence goes deeper still. He was right there with Jonah in the belly of the beast. He heard his prayer uh, and uh, responded to that. And so then what happens? We find out that then uh, the great fish uh, spits Jonah up back right where he started from on Joppa. And he makes a beeline. Jonah makes a beeline not to Nineveh but to Jerusalem. To do what he promised in his prayer from the belly of the beast to go uh, offer sacrifices to God and to pay vows to God. And so in the process of doing that, God has to call him all over again. And so chapter 3, the lesson we learned there, is God is the God of the second chance. And because God gave Jonah a second chance to obey, the Ninevites had their first chance to respond in faith. And as we refre- reviewed that third chapter, we find an amazing thing happened. Jonah obeyed. He was kicking and screaming all the way, but he obeyed. He stepped inside the city gates. He preached a message that was only five words in Hebrew, and then he stepped right back out. What did he say? He said, in 40 days, God's going to wipe you all out. And that's exactly what he wanted. He didn't preach about repentance. He didn't preach about grace. He didn't preach about mercy or any of these things. But Holy Spirit knew that he was dealing with a reluctant prophet, He knew he was dealing with somebody who was going to do every shortcut possible, so he had already been laying plans for this. Somehow he had somebody there by the city gates and knew how to speak Hebrew. He understood the message. He, in turn, shared it to others. And the story of God's uh, offer for repentance shot like lightning through the whole city, even into the king's house, where the king repented as well before the Lord and ordered everyone else to do likewise. And so what we find here is the God of the second chance, because he gave his prophet a second chance, the Ninevites had a first chance to hear. So we pick up with chapter 4. Jonah has preached. He stepped out of the city. The whole city has made this response. And let's look what we find in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What did? That all the Ninevites had repented. And he became angry. This is a chapter about anger, about what anger does to us. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, anger, rage, unforgiveness, hatred, bitterness, From time to time, we find each of these poisoning our guts, poisoning our minds. It's good to hear that the prophet Jonah knows a little bit of what that's like. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and minister your grace to us today. Some of us are still carrying open wounds from hurts. Some of us are still struggling with bitterness and find it hard to let go of the hurt done to us. Holy Spirit, we need you today. And we put our full weight upon you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Especially in my earlier life, I had a lot of times that I was extremely angry, filled with rage, desiring revenge. There's times that I've destroyed things. There are times that I've hurt people and even hurt myself. I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed of that fact, but I admit it before you because God says I've got to be transparent. But I've never been mad enough, never been so enraged enough to want to die. But that's where we find our prophet today. Let me just say this, be very careful about handling anger, friends, because it's a poison that can seep right into the pores of your skin. Anger and bitterness and the result hatred and rage that comes out of that. This is something that will kill you and devastate those around you as well. A few things about anger very quickly. First of all, anger is like any other emotion that God gives us. It's neither good nor bad. It's morally neutral. Uh, All of our emotions, uh, glad, happy, scared, uh, mad, these these are, are just emotions And and we're made in the image of God. God has these emotions. Jesus Christ exhibited these emotions. Emotions are morally neutral. How we respond to those emotions, whatever the emotion may be, is what makes it right or wrong, what makes it sinful or not. So keep that in mind, first of all. Secondly, anger is a secondary emotion. What does that mean? Basically, it's this. Nothing anybody can do, no circumstances that can come on you, nothing anyone can say can make you angry. Now, oh, Brother that's that's just not true. Yeah, it is. Anger is a response. Anger is a response of emotion. What that means is you have a choice in the matter, it's not automatic, it's not a straight line. And I can go into all the psychology of that with you, but I'm not going to do that right now. Just just take my word for it, if you will, please. Anger is a choice. And the third thing I want you to see is this. The Bible talks about anger a lot. In the Old Testament, the word anger is used 455 times. 455 times. Of those 375 times, you know who's angry? God. God is angry. 375 times of those 455, it's God. So what does that tell us? It tells us that anger in and of itself cannot be unholy because God is holy. And he was angry all these times. It's how we respond in anger. That's what makes the difference. That's what gets us in trouble so often as well. So, I want you to know there's an appropriate response to anger. The Bible never says, don't be angry. My my grandmother used to say, now, Fred, don't be angry. The Bible says you should not be angry. And I went looking for that verse, and I couldn't find it. What I did find from Ephesians was this. Be angry, but sin not. Now, see, that, that tells us something, doesn't it? That being angry in and of itself is not sin sin is something that happens as a result of being angry be angry but sin not do not let the sun go down upon your wrath What does that mean you got to deal with it you have to deal with it appropriately you've got to deal with it in a godly manner because if you don't it'll clean your clock that's the truth of the matter. There there are three responses to anger that are deadly. Uh, The first one is to deny it and repress it. Deny it and shove it down. Let me tell you what that does. That results in bitterness. That results in rage. But listen to me very carefully. It results in a deep, dark depression. Anger basically is, I mean, depression basically is anger that gets internalized. Uh, take from the, guy, the degree that's got the, the degree in psychology. That's, that's what it really is. Depression is basically anger that is internalized. It's turned inward. So that's one way to do it. You don't want to do that. The second way is just let it loose. Just, just bam, let it go. And a lot of people do this. I have, I have a friend uh, that this is the way he, he is. When he gets angry about something, when his buttons get pushed, when his fuse gets lit, he just boom, he just explodes over everybody. And when he does, he feels fine. He's got it out. He, he's spoken whatever was on his heart. He goes away happy. Now, there are people bleeding and battered and bruised all around him, but he feels fine. That's what happens when you, when you let it go and just, just let the force of it explode over everybody, your family especially, those who love you most are those who suffer the most. And the third thing that we can do with it that's also deadly is refusing to deal with it according to the Word of God, because that anger turns into resentment, which turns into bitterness, which the Word of God tells us defiles everybody it touches. So not dealing with it. So learning how to deal with anger is a major part of your discipleship. It's a major part of me being a Christ follower is understanding how to deal with my emotions and especially with anger. It's a major part of us growing in Christ. And Jonah was faced with this because listen to me, his entire sense of justice had been trodden underfoot By the God of justice. Now, what do you do when the God of justice tramples on everything you believe is right and just and good? And that's where Jonah was, and he was hopelessly angry. Crazy angry. And that anger warps your perspective. It warps your perspective of people, of their intentions, it warps your view of God. So much so, listen to me, that you find yourself in your own estimation. You find yourself being more just than the God of justice. You are more righteous than the God of all righteousness. You know better how to run this universe than the Creator does. That's how warped this can get your thinking. I've been there, okay? And you can justify all kinds of stuff (laughs) when you let your mind get so warped by this degree of anger. This is where we find him. Let's read on. Verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh, Lord, what was... Not this what I said when I was still in my country. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now that, that last section, does that sound familiar to you? It should if you're a student of the Bible, if you're a student of the Psalms especially. Jonah grew up singing this as a verse to two different songs. He's saying this as the refrain, the reverse. It goes over and over and over again. And two different Psalms, Psalm 103 verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Psalm 145, eight, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Jonah grew up with this truth. And because he grew up with this truth, he knew the God he served. And he knew if he went and preached repentance to these horrible, bloodthirsty killers, murderers and rapists, that they would hear and they would repent and they would get away with murder. And that's why he went the other direction. Because he knew the God he was dealing with. And God being merciful and full of grace made him angry. Because this grace and mercy was going to be offered to the people he hated. He didn't mind receiving it himself. He didn't mind that he and the other Israelites receiving all of God's wonderful grace and blessings, all of the mercy and the things that he just did. Oh, that was fine. That was fine. But his enemies, those who had ravaged burnt cities and destroyed crops and killed people and taken folks away captive, he could not fathom that. Now, don't don't pick on Jonah much. Because there's a prevailing attitude in America today and in the churches of America today that Americans are somehow God's favorites. They're His chosen people. He's blessed us because we've done it right. And if the rest of the world would just listen to us, we'll tell them how to do it right. And they'll be just as blessed as we are. I mean, we're Americans. We're God's favorites. And beyond that, we're Southerners. And we all know God thinks like we do, right? Now we get to laugh at that because we know that's back here somewhere in the back of our brain. Whether we want to admit it or not at least Jonah admitted it. America is not God's chosen people. We need to be real careful that we don't find ourselves being too familiar with Jonah and how he thinks let's let's look at verse 3 therefore now lord please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live why would he say that why would he say that his nightmare had come true even though he was kicking and screaming all the way and even though he just stepped inside the gate and he just preached a five word sermon Still, somehow, God got through to them people. And here he is, the most successful evangelist in history. More people turned to God that day than they did at Pentecost. than in any of Billy Graham's crusades, 120,000 people at one time, Way to go, Jonah! You really preached the word to him, Jonah? Where's Jonah? Mad as he can be. Because God had the audacity to save somebody he didn't like. I'd rather die than sit here and see those Ninevites not get what they deserve. That's what Jonah was saying. And so he plopped down outside the city, and he waited. Now look at verse 4. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? The sentence can also be uh, translated, Is your anger right? Or is your anger righteous? And he left that hanging. He left that hanging. But you know Jonah's heart because you know your own heart, right? How would you respond to that? See, see, when you open God's word and you read it, you don't judge the word of God. The word of God judges you. And when God asks a question, he asks it of you right now, today. Are you right? in the bitterness you hold in your heart. Are you right in the unforgiving spirit that you hold on to for those who have hurt you and turned their back on you? And you know what Jonah said? Same thing you and I would say. You better believe I'm right! Because that kind of anger can so warp your brain that you're more just than God and you're more righteous than God and you're more holy than God and you know better how to run this universe than he does and it so warped his brain he said I'd rather die with my disillusion than live to see your truth folks let me tell you Depression does some horrible things in your brain. Physiologically, but also in your thought patterns. Because you can come to that point that you're thinking, this world would be better off if I was not in it. And I would be better off if I was not in this world. If you've ever tangled with the demon of depression... You know what I'm talking about. And depression is basically anger that is internalized and not dealt with according to the Word of God. And it can so screw up your brain that you're convinced this world would be a better place if you weren't in it and you would be better out of it. But what does the Word of God tell us? No, the Word of God tells us just the opposite. That what you need is not to die. What you need is to find freedom. What you need is to find God in the midst of your pain and hurt and how to deal with this in a godly way. Not to escape it, but to deal with it in a godly manner. Look at verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade uh, till uh, till he might see what would become of the city. Till he could see what would become of the city. Well, what is he looking for? Well, remember his sermon? Forty days and God's going to wipe you out. So he went and sat down and said... I know what's going to happen. Their repentance isn't real. Their change isn't lasting. My heart's pure, but theirs is all defiled. And so we'll just wait these 40 days, and then God's going to see that their repentance is just a big show and a big sham, and then he's going to obliterate them just like they deserve. So what happens? And the Lord God, verse 6, prepared. Let me pause a minute. You see that word prepared? You've seen it before. It was in the first chapter where God prepared that great storm, that Eurocliton, that, that hurricane in the middle of the Gulf. God prepared that. God prepared a plant. He prepares a worm, and he prepares a shirako, a heart hot wind from the desert. I want you to know that many times nature is more obedient to God than the apex of his creation man. And the one who should be the most obedient to God has to look to nature (laughs) to find obedience. God prepared this. Listen, I am not saying that God caused the bad thing that happened in your life. I'm not going to say that God caused the hurt that came upon you. I'm not saying that. But God can take the hurt and the pain and the anger and the bitterness, and he can help you deal with it and bring you to a place of freedom and a place of peace. When you just harbor that, you're bent on destruction, and it will destroy you and all of those around you. Look, and the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade his head and deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He was grateful. though the, the word there in the Hebrew really goes further. It means it, it's to be grateful because you deserved it. And he's saying, okay, well, all right, now God's, God's blessing me. He's probably seeing things the way I'm seeing it now. He's changing his mind. He's seeing these people aren't really worthy of this, and this is not going to really last. So, all right, I'll sit here in my newfound shade tree and watch God blast them, just like they deserve. Let's read on. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, And it so damaged the plant that it withered. Now, now, what do you you have to deduce? (laughs) If you think that God prepared the plant because you were right, and then the next thing you know the plant's gone, what do you have to deduce? Let's see what Jonah deduced and it happened when the sun arose god prepared a vehement east wind now let me tell you that word is shirako i know that was the name of a brand of a car but it it didn't deserve that name a shirako sorry <laughs> you might have had one a shirako comes out of the desert the sahara and it's violent winds hurricane force wind 120 to 160 mile an hour winds picking up that dirt and grit and blasting everything that it hits. It can take a, a, a man and skin him all the way down to bone in a matter of moments. Unprotected skin. That's a shirako. That's what's talking about right here. God prepared this violent east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself, saying, It's better for me to die than to live. This man had a thing about death. But God wasn't keeping his end of the bargain. You ever had that happen? Where God doesn't keep the end of the bargain that you think he's supposed to keep? And so you're mad at him for it. You're angry with him see, Jonah was not so much angry with the Ninevites, he was angry at God. And that's really the focus of a lot of our anger. When we get hurt, when we feel that, that, that our sense of justice has been violated, where do we focus our anger? We focus it right squarely on God. That's a luxury you're not rich enough to afford, folks. Like the African-American playwright wrote, your arms are too short to box with God. You you just can't handle that. That's a luxury you can't afford. Look at verse 9. Here God challenges Jonah again. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, see, last time he said, is, is your anger righteous? Is, your, is it right for you to be angry? But here he's saying, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He's, he's pointing Jonah to an object lesson. Well, I love those object lessons when I, was, when I was a kid in school and loved to do it. in, in Sunday school and Bible school, you bring these object lessons because <clears throat> kids who are very concrete in their thinking can see this and understand it. So he's dealing with Jonah like a kid. He's giving him an object lesson here. For him to learn from. And he says, is your anger right? Or is it righteous of you to be so angry about the plant? Now, the next two verses are a little strange to our ears. But it's God pressing home the truth. Okay? Jonah said, yes, it's right for me to be angry even to death. But God said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left much and much livestock? Now it stops there, and again, this is kind of strange, but the story doesn't end here. What What is God saying? He said, you think you deserve every blessing that comes your way. You don't. You don't deserve a single favor that I would put on you. You receive these blessings because me and my grace and mercy, I choose to bestow them on you. Not because you're so good. Not because you're better than anybody else on the planet. I choose to be gracious to those I choose to be gracious to. Not because you deserve it. And then then he says, you deserve the same death and destruction that you've been hoping would fall on the Ninevites. Look, do you want to get what you deserve from God? No. I want his grace and mercy. I, I, I want the blood of Jesus Christ to cover my sins. I want for them to be removed from me as far as the east is from the west. I want God to refuse to remember them no more. Can I ask anything less for my enemies? God is saying, you pitch a fit when I destroy your vine. But you're perfectly happy for me to destroy 120,000 people. You demand pity on yourself when the sun hits you on the face. But you could care less about my pity being put on these who don't know spiritually their right from left. Jonah, my people have my heart, and you don't. My people have my heart, do I? Do I? Folks, anger, rage, bitterness, resentment, an unforgiving spirit. You don't need to mess with these folks. There's an old, old parable story told about a little girl going through the woods on a path that came upon a rattlesnake in that fable, The Animals Talk. And the rattlesnake said, I'm tired of crawling on my belly. Will you carry me a while? And the little girl said, oh, no, I'm not going to touch you. You're a rattlesnake. You'll bite me. And the snake said, I'm too tired to bite anybody. Will you please just carry me for a while? And so the little girl scooped her up, scooped up the snake, carried it for a ways. And it wasn't long before she felt the pain of the fangs in her arm. And she looked at the snake and she said, You bit me! And the snake said, You knew what I was when you picked me up. Anger, hatred, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness is a venom that will poison you to the core. And it will screw up the way you think. About the world around you. Way too much of my early life was dominated by rage and anger. And one of those that I focused on was my mother, who deserted us and left us on our own. And that rage and anger physiologically changed me for a long season. When I was in her presence, I would become physically ill and have to go throw up. But my hatred of her would explode and hurt other people around me that I loved and cared about. I remember Valerie and I were married we were working at a shoe store. And our manager was a short slender, dark-haired lady named Mrs. Stuttered, And I locked horns with that woman every time I turned around. I did not want to be under her authority. I thought everything she told me to do was stupid. And one day it dawned on me, she looked like my mother. Short, slender, dark hair, authority over me. And I had been mistreating this woman. She hadn't done anything wrong. But my rage was blowing up all over her. I had to go to her and, and, and confess, I'm sorry. And we became fast friends and were for years. Folks, the people that are hurt by your anger is not the person that you're angry with. My mother laughed at my anger. She thought it was hilarious. Because she wasn't hurt a bit. But I was decaying inside. Because of it. And those around me were suffering. You can't afford to carry that snake that venom will not only kill you but everybody that you hold dear. But there's an antivenom. There's an antivenom. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that when you learn how to deal with your anger and resentment, bringing it under the blood of Christ and allowing His peace and freedom and cleansing to come into your heart. Amazing things that you can't imagine can happen. That's what happened with Jonah. History and tradition both tell us that Jonah never left Nineveh. He spent the rest of his days teaching the people of Nineveh all about God and all that that God was about and all of His grace and mercy. And history tells us that that entire generation, everybody that was alive at that time, stepped away from their violence, stepped away from their bloodthirstiness, and followed after the Lord God. A whole generation. A generation is dependent on you to deal appropriately with your hurts. It's time to do business with God. We have to do this every day. Because you see, you don't read the Bible and judge yet. When you read it, it judges you. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. And let's do business with God. Just, just start asking Him right now, Lord, am I holding anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness in my heart? Against anybody? Am I drinking a poison hoping somebody else will die when it's really me that's having my insides ed up? Who is it, Lord, that I'm withholding forgiveness from? Lord, my sin against You was so great and yet You chose to forgive me. By Your grace, You can deal with this unforgiving spirit in our hearts. If right now You know what I'm talking about and You know That Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Then right now, will you pray along with me and just say, God, oh God, I want to confess my anger, my resentment, my unforgiving spirit. I want to confess that before you. I want to agree with you that it's sin, that it's wrong, and there's no place for it in my heart. If I'm going to have you as my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, will you come into the hurt? I'm still bleeding inside. Will you come into this hurt? I need some help. I need some peace. I need some freedom. I need you to come and walk with me on a road to recovery from my hurts is that your prayer you just sit a moment with the Lord and let him start his work in your life but this is probably something you can't do by yourself you're going to need some help with we've got a great team wonderful counselor that works out of our church and the Word of God and godly wisdom can help you find healing and hope in your life. But it begins with you surrendering it to Jesus now. But you come and talk to me or some of the other staff or go to the Connection Center. and We'll give you information about who you can see and how you can get help. But you've lived off poison long enough. It's time to live in freedom. Father God, for every person here today that knows exactly what I've been talking about, right now I pray that they'll release to you all the hurt, all the pain, and beg you in Christ's name, Holy Spirit, to come into their hearts and begin the process of freedom. This we ask